Welcome to episode 8 of The God Learners, a podcast about gaming and reading in the mythical world of Florentha. Uh, I am Jörg. And I'm uh, Ludo, aka Lord Abdul. And today we have a special guest, a guest that comes with a prefix, Mr. Doc Cowie. Good evening. Lovely to be here after you've had all the really good people who are involved with RuneQuest. If we've had all the good people by episode eight, it means there's not many good people. <laughs> well, well, then I'll take that back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, Doc is a long-time fan of Glorantha and RuneQuest, as evidenced by his lack of any blackness in his beard. But it's good, because we want some old people here today. Um, <laughs> you have, I think you have one adventure that you wrote, like you wrote one adventure for a, a UK magazine in the 90s. Oh, I mean, I couldn't be prouder. If that was on my gravestone, it said, has played RuneQuest for whatever it is, 40 years, got one publication. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> but yes, I've had one, one publication. Hey, it's, no. more than, it's more than many other people. Yeah. It's it's about a thousand percent less than literally anybody else who's ever been on this podcast. But let- <laughs> and you also have a, a wonderful custom Laurentian shield from Type Forty, uh, featuring Chalana Roy fighting chaos. Well, yes, I mean that is a claim to fame. But again, all the work there was done by Alan um, at Type Forty. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I think I was saying uh, before that uh, in March 2020, just as things were beginning to get locked down, given my real-time job as a doctor, uh, I started to have a lot less time and a lot more overtime money. And so uh, I know Alan quite well, got in contact with him and said, you need to make me a shield for when we come out of this, you can give it to me at Gen Con to celebrate the end of the pandemic. And we talked about it and it wasn't ready for Gen Con, luckily because Gen Con was cancelled. And then it was theoretically ready for the next Gen Con, but things were still so hectic that he just posted it to me. But yes, it's amazing. It's amazing. I will send you a picture. Awesome. So yeah, Alana Tab 40 does a whole bunch of wonderful other props, like, you know, Captain America shields and things like that. Oh, and the RuneQuest wallets and, um, uh, yeah. and oh, he just makes a, a bunch of amazing stuff. Yeah, uh, so I'll have some links if people want uh, some cool gifts or something like to put on their Christmas list. But anyway, let's do a bit of news. Not too much has happened on the official front, I think, recently, Eric. Uh, no, uh, I think the most uh, interesting thing is uh, that we finally got a shield table in the weapons and equipment guide <laughs> and a couple of other corrections. <laughs> Well, I mean, it was a shield table, but it just didn't have the title as such, right? No, it was uh, the second copy of the armor table, if I remember correctly. Oh, was it? Okay. <laughs> it was one of the bigger oopsies, but most of those should be uh, corrected by now. Well, I was going to say, did either of you see the amazing Chaosium interviews uh, that Jeff did on the Chaosium YouTube channel? Oh, yes. You probably saw them already. I mean, they were just um Again, you guys probably know all about this, but there was some fantastic stuff there. Um, um, you know, the KLC and uh, YouTube channel is um, it's a fantastic source for both. Uh, yeah. the, one of my second favorite sources for RuneQuest uh, information. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, and the, the first source is Twitter, of course. The uh, nonsense you, you know what i'm saying <laughs> yes the, yeah the um the interviews with jeff it's nice because jeff really conveys his passion and excitement for Lorenta, and that's great but, um we said that we might see some pdf of the cult book by the spring or something i I'll, yeah i'll believe it when i see it but that's that's nice but it, it, it's so amazing the amount of you know that the, the final book that's so beautiful i've got because at gen con as you probably know, they tend to sort of sell the words yeah. only, yeah, the, previews, the, yeah. the, the yeah. preview things. And, uh, you know, even then, the cult's book is sort mm-hmm. of huge. And what it's going yeah. to look like with all the art in, just going to be incredible. And I think that preview that you have only had like 60 cults or something, and it ballooned up to 100 since then. I mean, if you're happy to pause the podcast for a bit, I'll go and count them. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there are enough to be getting on with. But, uh, but yeah, you're right. But yeah, looking forward to all that stuff, the Sartor homeland uh, box. And then, yeah, Jeff also uh, teased 
bunch of other projects that are further down the line, like, uh, you know, the, the Prax online uh, book and the Pavis and Big Rubble and all that. This um, Sundome, the, I'm interested because this is uh, Sundome County, uh, Sundome, whatever, like the, the one in Saltar, basically, not the one in Prax, which might give us a kind of a, a different look at Yelmalio. And I loved how Jeff, when James, the interviewer, asked, Jeff, what was, you know, most excited about, uh, exciting about these things. One of the things he mentioned was like having a deeper look at Yelmalio so that it now makes more sense. <laughs> you know, I, I don't really care either way because I, I arrived way after all those <laughs> Yelmalio debates, but it still makes me laugh. So we wanted to talk about the early days of Glorantha because, um, you know, I arrived to Glorantha only a couple of years ago. Uh, Jörg has been in it much longer. Yes. But you, Doc, when did you, when did you start playing in Glorantha? Uh, well, remember, start playing is slightly different from when I first got um, aware of Glorantha. Um, mm. now, I mean, this is going to be a very, very uh, UK-centric history, which is, I think, quite different to, um, uh, you know, the American experience and probably mm-hmm. elsewhere. Yeah. Um, because in the UK, uh, I think the first sort of big release that um, anyone saw for Regress that I'm aware of, I'm sure others can point out better, was actually White Dwarf, um, which was our equivalent of Dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was incredible. You know, the magazine was very central to UK roleplay. Yeah. And as such, we had the Lair of the White Worm, which appeared in uh, 1979, so the year after um, yeah. uh, 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 Request came out. And it was, I just remember seeing it and just um, being absolutely sort of simultaneously amazed because it was all, it's like D&D, but it's a bit weird, um, <laughs> uh, that they all had names, all the creatures had names like Groper the Dark Troll and Itchy the... I think it's backup thing. Um, uh, you know, they all had weird names. It all sounded really unusual. And so, so I was simultaneously really interested and also a bit superior because, you know, I was 11. You know, uh, I played Dungeons and Dragons. I played advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And so <laughs> yes. I wasn't sure this RuneQuest thing was the sort of thing that I could lower myself to. But I saw that in, you know, I remember seeing that in 1978, though the, it was 1979 rather. Then, of course, in the UK, Games Workshop then published the uh, the RuneQuest box set, yeah. which was absolutely superb piece of of, um, uh, of stuff. It had got one here, which is theoretically can. It's had basic role playing, the RuneQuest rulebook, Apple Lane, Fangs, which is the you know the Adventures of mm-hmm. Monsters. You, you guys know all this. A bunch of player aids and dice. Um, and so this came out like a year after that, so it must have been sort of 1980 sort of time. Uh-huh. And it was, that's when I got it. That's when I got into it um, because it was incredible. It's like a tenor, I think, as I remember. Uh, it was incredibly good value. I, I, again, I mean, we've got to remember I was 12 now, beginning to get a little bit jaded uh, with <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. And yeah. uh, RuneQuest, it had hit locations and, you know, you're attacked and parried. It looked more advanced than advanced Dungeon and Dragon. Can that be true? It was. It was more advanced. Um, but, I, but I think, interestingly, the reason why I bought that was, like many people, I'd actually bought Cults of Prax before I knew what RuneQuest was. Oh, really? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, quite a lot of, of oldsters, you know, uh, would say this because Cults of Prax was around and it was, you know, a great-looking book. Um, and it... I mean, it, it just, but and Vera, I mean, I know you've done uh, podcasts on it. It's just so evocative. It's just absolutely pulls you in. And I remember reading that, not understanding a word of the crunch. No, no idea. What are all these weird read spells? What's going on? What are these percentages? And in fact, in some ways, it was even more, I'm, I'm going to do air quotes here, yeah. mythic. Yeah, because yeah, I yeah. didn't understand any of the actual rules, any of the actual yeah. game. It was just all the you know, all the fluff, all the talk. There is something about you know when when I remember my youth, which is not too long ago, hopefully. 
when I was reading games that I didn't understand, it often looked more mysterious and intriguing as opposed to, you know, now when I read something I don't understand, I'm like, you know, what the fuck is this? And, you know, I moved yeah. to something else. So, yeah, there is, there is, I guess we're more curious when you were younger or something. I don't know. But, but, I mean, it was amazing. It was, I was, because I, I bought it because I thought, well, oh, maybe it would still give a more sophisticated religious aspect to my uh, games of Dungeons and Dragons. And so how, uh, how, how did you learn about Cults of Prax in the first place to buy it? Oh, wandering around in Games Workshop. And it was it was there, and there weren't many other tunnels and trolls. Was obviously, in t- <laughs> I don't think I'll be playing tunnels and trolls, not with the silly names <laughs> of the uh, of the spells. <laughs> and uh, Traveller was a bit. I never really travel again. I wasn't quite so science fiction oriented. There wasn't. There just wasn't so much stuff in those days back in yeah, the day. Right. Yeah. So Cults of the Prax. I mean, it was beautiful. You know, even then. It, it was your second contact with Glorenta after the Lair of the White Worm. After the Lair of the White Worm, then right. Cults okay. of Prax. Yeah. Um, then, and did you uh, use Cults it, of Prax for your dandy games or anything? No? Okay. Put, put it in a pile and thought, wow, mystic. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and then when the actual RuneQuest box set came out, bought it, started to understand it, you'll be amazed to hear this, but I was going, hang about. It doesn't look like they explain everything in Glorantha in this book. <laughs> but, but, but luckily, in the back, it, it did say, it did point out in the real book that everything would be explained within a couple of years. So that was reassuring. Just a, um, just a couple of years, yeah. A couple of years, so long. Yeah. So how did you, when did you actually stop playing with it then? Um, uh, Brick and Mountain. Okay, All um, right. Because uh, uh, up and again, Games Workshop version, up until then, it was... Quite intimidating, really. Yeah. No, not like the kids today. There wasn't a starter set. <laughs> Intimidated rules-wise or lore-wise? No. What the hell? What do you do? Um, <laughs> what am I? Uh, am I a, a trader or something? Um, uh, are we? Um, uh, what am I supposed? It, it just wasn't. You know, I think one of the sort of clear things that people often talk about role-playing games is, you know, what will the adventurers be doing in this game? Like it's a really activity. central part. Core activity. There you go. Man. Yeah, yeah. The um, and I I'd never really grokked it. Well, wasn't it like basically the same as D and D? You're just adventurers going on adventures. It, I mean, my feeling was it was supposed to be a little bit more rarefied and sophisticated. And we had Apple Lane, and we played Apple mm-hmm. Lane, but it was because that came in the box set. Um, and Rainbow Mounds was again. It was a bit like a you know. So I suppose we were playing before Griffin Mountain, but up till then right. it was we didn't really. You know, we were just sort of, it, as you say, it was just a bit like D&D. Mm-hmm. So we sort of played a couple of adventures, and then we weren't quite sure what to do. And so... Did, did you play, for example, the initiation in Apple Lane? The, um, what did we do? Oh, it's a long time ago. I just remember baboons and centaurs um, yeah. uh, and unexpected things coming through the roof. And it was just remember being really three-dimensional and uh, uh, yeah, exciting, yeah. which many things weren't. So it was a great <laughs> scenario. I think... I'm pretty sure if I hunted around in the loft, I'd find attempts to convert G1, the Hills Giant Steading, uh, into RuneQuest mm. and other, you know, I mean, it's just, I, I was sort of scratchy. I didn't really have an idea. But <laughs> definitely, you know, Griffin Mountain was just a massive eye-opener. And so at that time, so for example, the uh, the RuneQuest rulebook has, uh, you know, it has the classic stuff like the magic and um and the weapons, but it also has already the concept of the cults with like already a fairly complete write-up of like the Orland cult. And then of course, Cults of Prax has more of that. So what did you make of that? Or did you just pick Griffin Mountain and just went on a hex crawl and didn't matter too much? Uh, I mean, I think we, again, it was how do the cults actually fit into the world? And I think... Griffin Mountain, I can't remember when Griffin Mountain came out. It must have been uh, early 80s, 81, something like that. 81. Uh, yeah, it was It was fairly soon after the GW book came out. So it was, I'm probably wrong, I'm probably missing things, but I really don't think there was anything like this around at the time. It was yeah, no. um, maybe the Spinwood Marches, but they were incredibly vague, and, you know. Yeah. And, um, and this had, it was... I mean, obviously, you've seen it. It was a, it, it, a it's a little bit like the, the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons DM's Guide. And there's just a bunch of stuff thrown in, just all these great ideas and tables and rumors and pictures. And, and it, 
you know, absolutely loved it. I think within about a week of buying it, we were all you know, rolling up characters and playing in it. And yeah, the concept of the cult was always a bit vague. I mean, you might want to put his fingers in his ears, but sometimes we looked at it and we said, I think that's a pretty weak cult. I'm not doing that one. This one gives you sword training. The, uh, so there was a tiny chance we were being a little bit munchkinny for quite a lot of this rather than terribly mythic about it. And the other thing was we had a troll and we had an elf and we had a Isuris guy and we had a, we never had a dwarf because uh, I do remember saying to people, dwarves are different. It's not like Dodgers and Dragons. It's dwarves are di- I don't know why. I thought I think because there was no dwarf cult where there was an Aldria, uh, Aldria oh, cult. Nice. <laughs> so, so, and everyone would go, what can't I be a dwarf? And I'd go, because it's different. This isn't Dungeons and Dragons. And what about uh, the elves was, then? Uh, well, he did have elves, so we had elves. But they were just like the indie elves, not, not like weird plant people? Well, what would happen is people would say, eventually, they would say, so uh, what's this? It says the sort of weird plant people. And you'd go, yes. They are mystical plant people. And then you'd play them exactly like every... I mean, we were, you know, it was... I mean, short of being literally Legolas, you know, they would still have, like, bows. But this bow is alive and has a spirit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not saying it wasn't terribly sophisticated. It was, you know, amazing. And we had, you know, huge battles against Halkion Varenkast. Is that the name of the lunar guy in Griffin Halkion, Mountain? Yeah. How could they... I know you... I mean, you would know this better than me. But I remember him just being this great evil. I, I was running it, but, I mean, it was like I was playing it um, because mm-hmm. we were all sort of discovering things as we went along yeah. and just building in, oh, I can't remember the name, Trilloy, I think. Um, in the end, Globe with Squawfart. We were teenage boys. I mean, we have to go with that. Who was, uh, who was the Zaraxarani who adventured with the Aldri army? Um, okay. Priest. Yeah, yeah. Of, of, you know, after about... Five years, they were both room level. And it was fine, they were friends. But anyway, um, Gloober Scorfart built a massive fighting pit. And I think someone else built a pub. And, you know, so it was like building your own. We all built the world together. It was really one of the two foundational campaigns of my teenage years, I think. Did you actually do a lot of shared world building with your players or did you kind of stick to Griffin Mountain's descriptions and you know, I, I, I don't know whether you remember what it was like being 13 and 14 I don't think I could describe anything as shared world building I think people would come in with ideas and say can I do that can we build this can we do that and I'd go yes or no that sounds unsophisticated and not worthy of this marvelous kind so, but it, but it was more shared than anything else uh, than, yeah. that we had done to that point. Oh yeah. So you were the standard GM, or I was. My my friend, uh, a couple of years later, um, when uh, uh, Pavis and the Big Rubble came out. The other important thing is Pavis, and I know nobody else calls it that, but we did, and so it's stuck in my head now. So, um, yeah. Pavis and the Big Rubble, uh, when they came out, my friend ran started running a campaign set there, and so we had the two big campaigns running. Uh, together oh, yeah. cool. the, the two gms would sometimes have to go off and talk and discuss interpretations Ooh. of rules that is sophisticated <laughs> oh it, it was it, i mean if there was one thing that describes these you know 13 to 15 year old boys it was sophisticated <laughs> yeah. I, have, yeah. i have no doubt cool. and so you did you did you follow well you and your your group Uh, of of players did you follow the publication schedule of the whole rq2 era so the borderlands and uh pa- pavis and big rubble and etc 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 it's fine <laughs> you ever did borderlands actually because i think at that time i definitely bought borderlands obviously um yeah. but i don't think we ever did Borderlands. i think we didn't do borderlands because everybody bought it and because it's really you know it's it, it is a very you know, specific set of scenarios, yeah, whereas yeah. the other ones were like an environment. It was very easy to like make up things around it. Um, right. uh, I think because Borderlands was a set of scenarios and we'd all bought it. Um, I don't think we ever actually ran it. Yeah. But then uh, perhaps one of the most uh, uh, permanent part of Borderlands were the encounters. We totally ripped them off. In fact, oh, I mean, I, I don't know what I can show you. 
because again, as I said, there's nothing better in a uh, than the visual prop in a podcast. The, the visual things, yeah. but it, uh, I made all these like mini, uh, you know, the uh, photocopiers because obviously we didn't have computers then, so we had all these little um, uh, things, you know, these sheets that I put together, yeah. cu literally cutting and pasting and photocopying, um, uh, uh, where I would copy out. Wow, look at these! These are the things that got posted up. Oh, those yeah, like are very old, like uh, handouts, like like something that would have been posted in the in the world. Yeah, yep. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah, I've got loads. Oh, I've never seen them for a very long time, but yeah, they <laughs> they get passed around. But yes, loads of little um, MPC sheets and the the little A file, whatever they are, uh, the, the index cards. Yeah, lots yeah. of index cards. So many index cards with so <laughs> so many preachers. <laughs> uh, and so did you um for example did your glorenta end up going into its own direction in terms of timeline like uh, as opposed to the official quote-unquote timeline i think it's very important that you know I, i get this out before i'm unceremoniously kicked off the podcast but <laughs> i don't think we even know knew what year it was <laughs> I, I was just about I, to ask that <laughs> the, I, i mean i i don't think we did i think we um Ballads are, you know, for Griffin Mountain, you know, there wasn't so much of a timeline anyway. And literally the only timeline thing that cared, we cared about in Big Rubble and Pavis uh, was, when does the River of Cradles happen? Because <laughs> we all knew the River of Cradles was this mega thing. Yeah. And so, uh, so it was, that was always hanging over the, we never played it, but it was always, you know, in the back of the kid. like for three years, we'd always be going, when... When is the River of Cradles? Um, uh, and uh, because it was legendary, um, it was yeah. like it was like the Tomb of Horrors, I think, for for Runequest. And did you play it? No, nope. never played it. Not once. <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to list a bunch of stuff that I've failed miserably to do as a as a failed Runequest player, sadly, it's far too long. But yep. But yeah, by, by timeline, I didn't necessarily mean, you know, year by year stuff, but more like, you know, big events that happen in your game. Like, you know, maybe you kick the Lunars out or you never had the Lunars because you didn't know there were supposed to be Lunars or I don't know. Definitely a bunch of Lunars. Uh, we knew they were there. We knew they were awful. But, we, you know, there was never any suggestion of these sort of meta plots that, I mean, I think meta plots weren't really a big thing back then in terms of, I mean, you know, the concept You know, if you you know if you read the rule book, there were all these history, but it was always history. It was not moving forward. Our, our perception at the time was not that we were going to move to that. Yes and no, because the the rule book had a timeline that went all the way to 1627, so mm -hmm. it went into the quote unquote future. Although yes. I'm not I'm not sure actually if it set a present year. So I don't um, know if you would have known it was the future or not. Uh, my impression was that was for Sata, and we never played in yes. Sata. We right. never played in Dragon yes. Pass. Um, partially, I think, partially, possibly because there was a timeline. Oh. And <laughs> even then, we were slightly anxious about breaking it. You know, um, you know, ooh, what if yeah. Greg finds out that we, it, we, we didn't do it properly? <laughs> we, we better not go there. Yeah. Yeah, oh, he was a nightmare. He used to regularly come to the UK and check you weren't breaking his game. <laughs> Speaking of Dragon Pass, have you ever heard or encountered that board game? Yes, now, but that was that was quite a lot later, actually. That was yeah. after I went to uh, to UD, and at med school, there were heartbreakingly few request players, and uh, I actually had I actually stopped playing role playing games for an entire year while I uh, focused on my studies. But for various reasons, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I, I got back into it. But even then, no, I didn't actually play RuneQuest again for a very long time. I played Dragon Pass because I've got wargaming friends who were, you know, happy to play it. We actually played a lot of Dragon Pass. Absolutely loved Dragon Pass. Bought all the stuff. Went to the conventions yeah, in 1992. But then I, I, I almost went through a Glorantha freeze. I, I think I remember going to uh, one of the convulsions or what they were called um, at that time and just suddenly realized and i met greg who was you'll be amazed to hear lovely 
Except that he was checking that you did it. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I obviously didn't tell him I'd broken his game. Um, oh, yeah? But yeah, yeah. I, I kept that very quiet. But it was just, oh, my goodness, everyone knows so much more than I do about this. And I thought, I am terrible at Glorantha. I have failed Glorantha. No, seriously. I don't, you know how people say yeah. Glorantha is quite intimidating? Yes. I yeah. hit an absolute brick wall of Glorantha files um, at the convention. And they just knew everything about it. And I remember sort of going on to, with the early internet in the sort of late 90s, mm -hmm. sort of dipping a toe on and saying, is it safe to come back in? Oh, my goodness, I don't know any of this. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, you buy Tales of the Reaching Moon and things, and you mm -hmm. read that and you think, that's fine. You know, they've got comedy pictures of onions. So that's my <laughs> level of stuff. I can... Uh, you know, I, I, I can, I can work. But you went onto the sort of, you know, uh, bulletin boards or whatever they were called back then, and it was just full of people who knew everything and had strong views on sun gods. Maybe that was a bit later, but <laughs> yeah. the equivalent. No, no, that was exactly that time. It is still a, a problem for even present day Glorenta when fans come in and they arrive on the Discord or the forums or whatever, or even Facebook and they ask one question and they have, you know, 50 answers pointing them to out of print products and things like that. And so how, yeah. uh, how did you, did you just like go away and only came back 10 years later or? Well, I, I just sort of, I bought the stuff and I read it. Um, actually, I, I don't know. You, do you remember Isseries as a concept? Yeah. I think that's when I got, that's pretty much when I got back into it because I saw that, you know, Greg was, I, you know, I was totally unaware of all the stuff that was going on with Cursive. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. um, but I saw that Greg was essentially kickstarting a new company. And so I got in contact with him. And again, one advantage of my day job is I was able to say, look, really, I'm, I'm really happy to lend you a bunch of cash. And so we so we we chatted, um, uh, you know, over. Actually, sent me letters. There you go. I've probably got letters lying around from Greg. Letters, like, letters actual letters. I know, mad. <laughs> uh, but so we sort of chatted with this, and uh, Hero Wars came out. And again, I think I should point out that he returned all my money with unasked for interest. It's it's difficult to accentuate what a solid bloke he was. Um, uh, but again, never asked for any interest. But you know, nice. he thought this was best. Gave it with the interest. Um, and Hero Wars came out. And then, so Hero Wars, I remember looking at going, like many people, we're supposed to be here, you know, it's RuneQuest. We're supposed to be becoming heroes. We're supposed to be hero questing. And yeah. probably like you, like everybody who's played a bit of RuneQuest, you sort of make up some rules for hero questing. And, you know, oh, I mean, they were terrible. But, but Hero Wars actually having sort of ideas about how you could go at different levels of mastery was that uh, that really got me really interested actually and i thought well that is very interesting so i got a lot of the hero wars stuff again really uh absorbing all the stuff then i think probably the next big thing that came out was the whole guide to Glorantha, yeah, as you yeah. can imagine and that was when i got back into playing when that particular kickstarter came on so did you did you play hero wars or were you just reading um i have hopefully in cooper's and listening my, because uh, <laughs> if I had to pick a single best Glorantha book, mm -hmm. um, certainly up to a few years ago, it would have been Hero Quest Glorantha because I felt that was just, you know, it it made it, it meant I understood the Hero Wars rules better because I hadn't really grokked them up till then, yeah. and it, it just fits so beautifully with Glorantha. The you know reading the sort of how you really could jump in, and uh, and I played with Ian Cooper, and. Oh my goodness! This just works. It, it is. I, I do love the system. You know, obviously, it's now Quest Worlds. You can definitely argue whether Thirteenth Age Glorantha, Hero Quest Glorantha, or Rune Quest is the best way to jump around the Glorantha. But I mean, they're all brilliant in their mm. own different way. I think. What do you think of the evolution of? Glorantha, like, you know, from the early days of RuneQuest first and second edition, where there's like what four pages basically of lore on Glorantha, and then like you know it was developed in the in some of the source books, and then all the way to you know the guide to Glorantha and the Glorantha source book and all that. How do you think would be the difference for people, you know, getting over Glorantha, or people who followed Glorantha along the way? And I have many times said that. Um, 
I have passion go around for 90, but maybe knowledge go around for 40. I think um, I find it interesting. I love the fact that it is there Mm -hmm. and it is necessary to have this huge amount of depth, Mm -hmm. but I don't find it that, I mean, I'm I'm so glad your camera isn't working because I'm sure right now he's looking daggers at me. But the actual specifics i don't feel i need to argue about i think mm-hmm. i love it when someone tells me something new and exciting but sometimes it feels a little bit like a sort of history book i think that's why i loved your last episode so much when you were talking with diana and you were looking at you know the starter pack and very specifically talking about how do we use this enormous weight of slightly abstract history, cults and things. How do you actually use that in a game directly? How do you think it, you know, how does it affect people here? You can't do that without this huge weight of knowledge. But mm-hmm. that's how I really love glor- applied Glorantha as opposed to theoretical Glorantha. <laughs> I think right. I would go with. Yeah. yeah, It's really when you start playing that you, um, that, that you really discover Glorantha. I think it was, um, uh, what's his name, M.A.R. Barker, who, when people would ask him, you know, what's there in TechML, he would reply, well, play your game and find out. <laughs> I remember chatting to Greg and he said, uh, so is there one thing, you know, we were sort of sitting there and say, is, is there one thing about Glorantha you would like to know? And I imagine there's a few people here who go, wow, I've got a, I've got a list. Here it is. <laughs> but, I, but I just, uh, I actually said, no. I, I think, you know, there is so much out there. What I actually asked him, I actually asked him a bit more about, you know, uh, the applied stuff. We actually got into discussing bringing up children in, you know, in shamanistic traditions, blah, 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 oh, in, cool. yeah. in the real world, which was, again, absolutely amazing. It's the application of myth, the sort of applied myth, how myth is useful, not even in Glorantha, but, you know, talking about myth in the world, how important it is in the world. Just, I absolutely love that stuff. And again, the, the weight of information is necessary. Yeah. It has to be there. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, it's it's actually using it that I love. And I think uh, the passions you uh, mentioned, like knowledge 40 uh, and passion uh, 90%, that's really a sense of wonder you've kept. That's a lovely way of describing utter ignorance here. Thank you. You're a lovely man. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing now nowadays in Glorantha? Well, let's have a look. Um, we have, well, so we've got a long-running campaign, which has been running for about two and a half years now. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, has run through originally second edition, converted to RQG, now looks like it might be about to be converted to Quest Worlds because uh, we are about to go hero questing after lots lots of normal plan-based adventures, uh, mm-hmm. the world's most pathetic attempt at a cattle raid, um, you know, all, all the sort of fairly low-level stuff. But despite that, we've been gradually becoming more powerful and we're now we're going to get sucked into hell and we're preparing for it. We've got a year. We know we have to do it. So we're due to restart that fairly soon. I hope, mm-hmm. in fact, next week, I think, uh, we'll be starting that one. i uh, recently done a uh, Sundome Temple in Prax. You know, mm-hmm. wander around that. Just lovely militia. Just militia wandering around, finding cool Glorantha stuff and yeah. uh, talking to cool Glorantha people and yeah. fighting. Um, <laughs> and it's just, you get sucked into the myth. It's just, you know, you sometimes find something and, you know, we found the bones of a god mm-hmm. and made a dagger out of it. And, uh, <laughs> and, and this is, and it sounds absolutely rubbish when it's you know someone else talking about their game it's like someone telling you about their character but yeah. <laughs> when you've got all this massive weight of stuff behind it if you're playing D and it says oh it looks like uh, it looks like it's a dead god and you can make a plus one dagger out of it you go mm-hmm. <laughs> not that impressed but when it's the bones and you know that this is bronze this is the metal you can tell me which metal is it the metal okay. maybe i don't know is it <laughs> the, um, that metal um, uh, you know, you can craft something out of it. And again, we found Iron Halberg. And did we wear it? No, we gave it to uh, to the Earth Temple because nice. we felt that that was more appropriate. And it's just, it's things like that which just absolutely make sense. And I play more D&D than, I mean, again, don't tell you what, but if I, if I look at the mm-hmm. total amount of gaming I did last year, 
D&D would have been the largest amount. That would not happen. It wouldn't occur to you to give away the most powerful magic item you found. Um, uh, you, you know, you, uh, whereas in RuneQuest, it absolutely makes sense. Everybody was very happy to do that. That's what you should do. Were you doing it when you were 12 years old, though? Oh, gosh, no. Oh, no. Oh, so how, oh I mean, how, how much do you think it is that part of it is from the fact that you're, you know, wiser Road up. now let's go with wiser or part of it is because there is now you know more material on glorantha and what kind of makes think glorantha and that you you know more about glorantha that parts of it is that you're actually playing with runequest glorantha i assume where you know they increased the power level they made you know rune spells and rune magic different and you know cult tithing um you know paying your cult uh, more of a thing. So is it like basically a combination of all three? Brilliant question. Um, I think obviously the major fact is teenage boys, right? There are, you know, but, but genuinely thinking about that now, when I look at teenagers playing role-playing games now, they are a lot more sophisticated than, than we ever were. So mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah. I think some of it is just the fact that role-playing is widely available and you can watch it everywhere mm-hmm. um so if you start now you can you will know more about role-playing from you know a weekend watching youtube videos than we learned in our first it was <laughs> true, you know, it was yeah. this is what we are doing in our group and that is how it is and this stuff that's written in white dwarf and this stuff that's written in dragon but that's dragon and it's yeah, american yeah, yeah. but apart from that it's our group and that's what we did i remember the, the yeah. very first time i met somebody else who played dungeons and dragons and he didn't believe me and uh he actually he actually gave me a quiz because again boys right he said, you know, how many hit dice does a hobgoblin have? How much damage does it do? You have to prove you're a nerd, though. Yeah, because his little group thought nobody else in the UK played Dungeons and & Dragons, and, you know, and it was just very yeah. weird. So it's a different time. But you're, yeah. uh, So I think there's partially that. Yes, there's more information. There's more direction about what you're supposed to be doing, which I think helps. But I think a lot of – I think you're absolutely right. A lot of it just comes from being – wanting a different role-playing experience than mm-hmm. you know, I, I still enjoy uh, killing things and taking their stuff. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but that isn't what Request is for. To me, it seems like a big part is that it's in the rules because the game tells you this is what the game is about, which previous edition of RuneQuest didn't really tell you. It, they just told you there's a cult and yeah, it's like, it looks cool, but you don't know really what to do with it. Oh, I don't know. I wasn't there back then, but I would assume that the new edition tells you better that this is how the game goes. Yep. I mean, and, and obviously the starter set, absolute constant example of that. Just yeah. game tech. It's, <laughs> it's an iPhone yeah. as opposed to the Nokia Flip that I was using. How did you uh, feel the change to uh, everybody has magic and rule quest? I mean, you came from AD and D. I think that was fine. I think the thing that uh, if there was one thing that annoyed people, or um, it was the fact that you could cast magic and wear armor. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, for munchkin people, it was uh, it was great. Wow, I've got armor and I can cast spells. So really, that was. You know, as players, that was never a problem. And I think that was the fact that magic was so commonplace, I think was a big part. Of it. That's definitely something I got from Colts of Prax, was he'd been regularly talking about how people would be casting magic and talking to spirits. And I didn't understand the mechanics at that point. Right. But the point that the entire world was suffused with magic was just like a, a, a strong trope I had in my head. So it really didn't surprise me when that came along. And I think most people liked it because I can cast spells. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was uh, listening to uh, Baz's RuneQuest Year Zero uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. And it made me laugh when it was like, oh, apparently everybody's got magic and everybody's got a god that is important. It's like everybody's playing a, a cleric. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, uh, in some ways he's right. Uh, listening to Baz's podcast is is really interesting because he's someone who has been around for a long time and been yeah. regressed adjacent. Mm-hmm. So he does know that I mean, he knows a lot about role-playing stuff. But now, you know, but this is clearly the first time he's looked at the actual mechanics of regressed. And I think it's really interesting, slightly hurtful, because <laughs> no one should ever question anything 
But it's great <laughs> listening to someone, uh, you know, just actually questioning some of this stuff and saying, what, you know, what's going on? Great, great podcast. Yeah, I, uh, I sent him uh, some messages about... Um, because I came to RuneQuest just a couple of years ago. And so a lot of it is still fresh in my mind. And I'm like, yeah, I had the same questions and the same confusions and the same <laughs> concerns and, and all that. It's, uh, it's really, but he has this extra, you know, where I'm mostly like, mm, I don't know about this. He's got uh, the game designer, a more game designer approach to it, where he's like, I don't know about this because of that. And so that it's interesting that, he's letting me kind of better understand the, the hunches, I guess. Uh, so it's great. Yeah. I would, I would recommend people to, to listen to, um, to his podcast. It's great. And there is also one big difference in how, you know, everybody had magic back in the early days. And now is also that they purposely, purposefully on purpose got away from kind of the zero to hero path like you know when you started in RuneQuest 2 I you know I tried to make a character in RuneQuest Classic once and I'm like I've got like 25% in sword and if I want more I need to start with a um, with a mortgage with a, with one of the temples which is very American I guess um, but now you start like very high um, rune magic is uh, not just like one user stuff so what do you think about this change in power level? Did you did you ever have like characters become rune masters back in the day and so on? You're asking the wrong person here because I love it. Um, uh, uh, I'm inherently, I mean, if you if, if you want me to be a bit more sophisticated about it and just say I'm a massive power game, um, I like one of the big problems with the uh, which was fine and we we don't, but you would. It was so often outside, what happened was just outside your control. It didn't matter what you decided you wanted to do. Your chance of actually succeeding in doing it was so low that it almost didn't matter. You know, (laughs) what do you want to do this round? Probably just roll the dice and look depressed um, uh, was was usually the answer. So it was, so I, I wasn't really making interesting decisions and seeing how they act. I think the fact that now, I mean, I've still got, I mean, luckily, we're not going to get into it now, but I have issues with RuneQuest, the system. You know, I mean, it is it is sometimes, you know, these multiple skills, sometimes do, I find, almost get in the way of your character because um, no matter what you do, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, it's all got much more powerful, but it hasn't really. I mean, you probably have, you know, probably, let's say, and again, as a massive power gamer, I can make a character using the you know, using the creation system he's got like four skills above 80 i can do that without too much difficulty but i've still got about 30 that are really low yeah. um yes. and and it's not like you know it, it can be deeply frustrating even now it can be really frustrating saying uh, mm-hmm. uh my charm is 70 percent and saying mm, this is more of an intimidating thing say oh well okay 18 <laughs> percent and you oh and it's <laughs> It's so I think it is more powerful, but the problem, the idea of your character just having inevitably 50 weak areas in their character sheet. You know, you might have a few good ones. I sometimes worry that that makes you a little bit two-dimensional. You, you've got your go-to skills. Most characters have got like 10 skills at their go-to because yeah. they're above 50%. So I... And when we were when we were young and small, this was fine because it was hilarious and fumbling was the best thing ever. <laughs> uh, and you just roll up another character when you inevitably got killed. But I think if you're trying to tell a story, absolutely failure is absolutely key in that. But ideally, the failure... Oh, I, I just sound awful at the moment. But, I mean, ideally, the failure sort of fits with the character. It's a sort of tragic yeah. failure yeah. rather than... Uh, you know, I, I just rolled 84 eight times in a row. But that's... I think, um, you know, when you were talking about how people are much more mature about running games now because of the much higher rate of exchange of ideas, I think there's a lot more people able to handle failure uh, in a better way, you know, with failing forward and uh, success at the cost and all that and all kind of stuff that maybe uh, we didn't have back before actual plays and all that, where it's just like, no, you can do it. Language rules, language rules. Jürg, I'm going to blame you personally for these. 
because because uh, you know so much. But we would spend long sessions not being able to talk to each other because <laughs> yeah yeah. I, I mean, it, we never got through that. We never managed to crack language yeah. in RuneQuest Two. <laughs> uh, we were never sophisticated enough to say. Well, if you've got twenty five percent, it means you can basically. I mean, of course, in RQG it does say if you've got twenty five percent, you can basically talk. No, some people would. I mean, luckily, neither me nor my fellow GM, but another request would it'd make you roll if you wanted to talk to somebody in the party. <laughs> you know, and yeah. so it's, yeah. so you couldn't communicate in you know combat unless you made a successful speak curtly. And oh. so how how am I to blame for that? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't. I can see Ludo. I can't see you. So, and I need to blame somebody <laughs> okay, for that. Okay, okay. The, yeah. um, it's just yeah. you know, um, so it must be somebody's fault. And you know everything about RuneQuest, so therefore I, you know, I I don't know everything about RuneQuest. Uh, my big dark secret is I never played RuneQuest uh, Classic or RuneQuest Two. Well, okay. Yeah, he started with RuneQuest Three. Yeah. Wow. So the, the first RuneQuest I held in my hands was uh, the Games Workshop book. Right. Which were brilliant. The actual book, yes, they were really. They were though again. They were beautifully. The, the RuneQuest rules in them were brilliant, and we did we did adapt to RuneQuest three. But I'm fascinated because you're you've got the reverse thing than you. What do you think? Looking back at the old style stuff. Oh, I uh, actually I love how it was done, and I fought my way uh, getting all these old uh, things uh, when you still had to go to an auction in somewhere in England and. Well, uh, pay a year's rent uh, for that. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you're right. They were, I mean, RQ3, it was a disaster. In, I mean, seriously, in the UK, for yeah. between about 1980 and 1984, 5, RuneQuest was definitely the second most popular game system. Yeah. And it was probably the sophisticated game system. You know, for uh, you know, for the for the cool fifteen-year-olds. Yeah. But RuneQuest was really big, and then Games Workshop lost the license. RQ3 came out, and it you know it cut off with, and it just fell to the wayside. It was uh, heartbreaking. Yeah, I think it was like way more expensive. Didn't have Glorantha. Wasn't in Games Workshop yeah. stores, and so it just died in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the Avalon Hill box. Yes. But then the, Games Workshop returned with a license. Um, but no, Games Workshop, yes, they did. They got and they produced the books, which were good and full of chaos. Uh, Games Workshop chaos spiky yes. you know, uh, illustrations, which you can look back on and find charming, which is my choice. Um, <laughs> but, but, and we tried adapting it, but you know, I, I don't think from a rules point of view, RQ3 was particularly. You know, there were a couple of good bits in it, but ultimately, I think it got too crunchy, RQ3, just for me. And for me, in terms of publishing new books, interesting yes. new books and environments, so much of it was just rewrites. Yeah. So I, I don't feel that, RQ, for, for me, mm -hmm. RQ3 didn't really, it was standing still at best, really. I mean, RQ3 had to catch up because all the good stuff from RQ2 wasn't available anymore. I, uh, and of course, I didn't start with uh, start playing Garantha when uh, RQ3 came out. That was me making a, a furious face. What? How could they do that? They, oh. <laughs> but then I played uh, I played uh, Greg Stafford's Viking campaign, put put that in, in, into a more fantasy world, and it was great. Uh, I mean, I still think that was Greg's best uh, published uh, Sata campaign. <laughs> wow, that is a fantastic. I would love to hear more about that. I would love to hear how you think, because you're right, it's a whole different set of myths. Yeah, because we looked at the Viking things and thought, Vikings, they're, you know, helmets, yeah. hitting things with axes. I think we just, we may well really have missed out on that. Yes, I think so, because uh, it really was uh, RuneQuest meets the clan game. So you, you had a family, um, I rolled up my characters and said, uh, well, how long have you been married? All all that stuff came uh, almost naturally from the Vikings box. Yeah, so uh, I had my characters uh, firmly grounded in uh, their home village. Uh, of course, they went away, uh, got a boat and whatever, but they still knew that they had their farm somewhere back home where the wife was uh, trying to get by, and they had better come back with some treasure to make uh, to make this escapism worth it. That is really interesting. I mean, again, you can see him, you know, it's the whole Pendragon thing and sort of dragging it down to the, 
you know, the contrast with the peasant class, the, you know, the, the things, the, the year by year living out, well, maybe I need to have a better look at Vikings. Maybe a, a new analysis of Vikings might be really interesting. Coming this year, Doc Cowie playing RQ3 Viking campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe Quest Worlds. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we can uh, actually wrap it up with uh, moving away from RuneQuest. And um, and yeah, you said you were going to move to Quest World. Is that just for the Hero Quest or just actually moving the entire campaign? I think it's for the uh, Hero Quest bit. I mean, I do, despite, I think like nearly everybody, I've got this huge list of things that really annoy me about the RuneQuest rules, but I really love them. And it's, um, I think that's often the case. The way I feel when I'm playing RuneQuest, the way I feel when we get a critical, the way I feel when relentlessly I get hit in the left leg. <laughs> Despite everything that annoys me about it, there is something about RuneQuest and its crunchiness and the skills that annoy me. And the, mm-hmm. the combat that annoys me, that you, you just don't get from anything else. Um, or I'm sure you do, but I don't get from anything else. Um, so I, I do love the RuneQuest rules, though I will bitch about them whenever I get the chance. Well, it sounds, uh, sounds fair. The internet is there for you. Um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems like a, a good place to end it. Probably a nice and accurate thing to say about RuneQuest. Thank you a lot, Doc, for coming up on the podcast. Thank you so much, both of you. Um, uh, I'm sorry I've not added to the uh, to the to the knowledge and wisdom of the Glorantha tribes, but hopefully, I've had a chance to say why you should love it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, hopefully, we'll have you again at some point. More shenanigans, maybe some discussion about all the things we don't like about RuneQuest. And uh, but yeah, that's for some other time. Anyway, thanks a lot. See you online. Thank you so much. Thanks, you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the God Learners. Our website is godlearners.com, where you can find episodes, newsletters, and articles about Glorantha. Reach us via email at collective at godlearners.com or via Twitter or Facebook at The God Learners for any questions or feedback. We are The God Learners. Question everything to the void and beyond. <laughs> <laughs>